Hi, I'm Sophie Milliken and welcome to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator. Today I am speaking to Dragon's Den star and Crafters companion founder, Sara Davies. So I'm joined this afternoon by Sarah Davies, founder of Crafters Companion and Dragon on Dragon's Den. Welcome, Sarah, and thank you for taking part in this fantastic project. Thanks, Sophie. Hey, talking's never a problem for me. You just uh, <laughs> wind me up and set me off. I'll tell you whatever. Brilliant. Well, I like that. And I would encourage you to be very open and honest because I think that's what the audience is going to be looking for. So that would be fantastic. Let's start off sort of going back a, a little while now. And can you tell us, did you always know what you wanted to be when you grew up? I know you come from an entrepreneurial family. Has that influenced you a lot? Yeah, so um, I would say I always knew what I wanted to be, but it wasn't until I was about 15, 16 that I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So when I was really little, I wanted to be a teacher, actually. I, I, you know, I, I really looked up to the teachers at school and I always thought I'd, I'd love to train and be a teacher. And it wasn't until I got to, it's when I started studying business studies at GCSE level. And I, and I started to, to realize that a lot of the stuff we were learning felt like common sense to me. It didn't feel like learning stuff. And I think that's because I'd grown up around business. You know, both my parents ran, ran the business when I was younger. And when you're in that sort of environment, that's all you know. Mm. And, and I really excelled at GCSE and an A-level business. And I never really understood it because... You know, my maths and my history and my French I used to have to work so hard at, but business felt really natural. So I think it was around that time that I thought, do you know what, I, I can follow in my parents' footsteps. And as ridiculous as it sounds, I think because we come from a little pit village and, you know, my family's you know, probably quite traditional and old-fashioned, mm-hmm. I think my dad especially, he was very, very traditional in his way of thinking, just always assumed that, well, if he'd had sons, they would have absolutely been taking over the business. Mm-hmm. But because he had daughters, that wouldn't necessarily be that what we, what we would do. So they didn't push us, neither me or my sister, down the business route when we were younger. But when we started to take an interest of it for our own accord, then all of a sudden, I think my dad started to realise, oh, there is the opportunity that we could pass the business on through the generations, which is when I started to be interested in my parents' business and decided I wanted to go off to university and study management so that I could either take over their business or start my own business. Nice. And did you have any sort of entrepreneurial ventures where you tried little things out before you stumbled upon um, your crafting business? Yes. So when I, when I was younger, even from quite a young age, I was always keen to try and make a business out of anything. So, I, I mean, I remember when I was really, really young, we, we, I remember we had a rabbit and a dog and we had some goats in the field at the bottom of our street. And so I decided I was going to start a farm, but then I was going to charge people to come to my farm and look around the farm. Or, um, you know, I, I set up a little library when I was younger with my with my library books. And then I was charging everybody for the library books. At school, I used to buy uh, sweets in bulk at the weekend. I did them that. down into little bags and then, and then sell them out my bag in the, in the girls' toilets on a morning before classes. So everything for me was always business. I, I, even from being, you know, seven, eight-year-old. Everything was, how could I make a little bit of money at this? And I think that's obviously, that must be the influence of my parents, my dad in particular. Um, I guess it's in in the blood, like they say. 
Mm, I love it. I, yeah, I did the sweet thing as well. And, and one really embarrassing one for back from when I was about seven or eight is uh, me and my next door neighbour, we used to knock on the neighbours' doors and charge them 50p for a tattoo and it was us drawing on their hands. <laughs> it worked. Uh, but yeah, it's a bit embarrassing now when I go back because they all still live in the same street and I get reminded of it uh, at various Oh, places. I can bet. Which is a bit embarrassing, but the sweet one was more uh, successful, I think, to be fair. So, um, thinking about your how you operate now and how how you you must have to make decisions very very quickly whenever you're doing anything. Is is there a way that you have sort of learned to make decisions quickly? Is it instinctive? How how do you go about making decisions? Yeah, I think what's what's really good is when I first started the business, it was just me, and I wore my heart on the, my sleeve. I ran at a hundred mile an hour, and I made every decision with my gut. And um, but then most decisions were still within my control to deliver. And as you get bigger, you're making decisions for staff members to do things, which is totally different because they're no longer in your control. Well, my husband was my then boyfriend when we started, uh, now husband, uh, been together 20 years, um, he's an accountant. And we are like chalk and cheese, opposite ends of the spectrum. And um, so everything for him was calculated and methodical and thoroughly thought through. And so when he joined the business three or four years into our journey, it wasn't, it, you know, we weren't running the business off the back of a fag packet anymore. It was, everything was, you know, we'd make a decision, but then we'd go through the process of, you know, looking, making sure we turned over every stone because it wasn't really calculating the risk. And so over the years, I think I've just got to know that now it's the two of us making decisions in the business, not just me on my own. I can preempt and second guess what he's going to ask me before I go in with, to put my side of the, the argument across on, on something. Mm -hmm. And so then I've just built that into my thought process when I'm making those decisions. So now I can do decisions and fire off as quickly as ever I did, but whilst having the benefit of bringing in everything that, that he would think about. Whereas if I go back years and years, I would just literally, if it felt right, it must be right. Whereas that, that's not always the case. Did that, so did that mostly pay off though, that gut feeling? Uh, it absolutely always did when it was in my control. Yeah. But I think more than anything, I'm pretty stubborn. So quite often it would be, if I'd made something that was possibly a wrong decision and that wasn't going to work out the best, I'd just work harder at it until I put it right. Mm. So I might not have made the most commercial decision at the time, and for me, it's always effort and reward. As, as the business gets bigger, you can't do the stuff that you always want to do. Mm -hmm. You need to sometimes weigh up your time's limited. And so what can you do that will give the business the greatest return? And that is the biggest, the biggest step I think I made within the business is, you know, when I was younger, I just did everything. And if I had an idea, we were running with it. Whereas now we can't possibly run with every idea I have. So now I have to weigh up each one and see which one is going to give the greatest return for the least amount of effort. And that's how, those are the decisions that we're making on a day-to-day -day basis now. That's interesting. So, so I guess your approach to, to decision-making has had to evolve with the growth of the business and in line with that, which makes sense. So um, thinking about when you were starting out, so in the sort of early years of your business, did you set yourself ambitions? Because clearly your business has been hugely successful. Did you set out to be that successful? Did you have smaller goals? How, how did you do that? 
yes i did and i would say still doing it now so it's very much a case of when i first started i looked at our industry and there were some really big players in our industry um and i looked at the, the biggest one was turning over about 17 18 million and so in my head when i got there i would have absolutely made it and then of course as you get close to that and i mean now we're twice the size of that company and more actually um but by the time i'd got there i'd already set my sights on something else and it's not always the size of something so a big part of, of my business is tv shopping and i am you know probably one of the most successful if not the most successful craft provider of shop of, of provider of craft products on tv shopping globally and i that didn't happen overnight you know i i looked at other people that were very successful online tv shopping personalities and tried to learn and emulate what they did and grow my presence and it was a case of i, I would one day i would love to be hitting the sort of numbers that that person's hitting and then when we're there it's i'd love to be doing the sort of numbers that that person's hitting over in america and you know now and just always building up always having by the time you get to something you've got aspirations for the next thing yeah i totally get that and when you have achieved those milestones it's great that you're then looking ahead and, and on to the next thing i totally get that but when you have hit them do you take time to celebrate do you know that's something i'm terrible at i i, I don't i guess I, I never feel like we've hit something because by the time we get there i've already you're already i'm already into the next bit so yeah. it doesn't feel like an achievement when we've got there because by the time i get there that's not what i'm where i'm trying to get anymore yeah uh, it's yeah interesting. i uh, i think uh it's important isn't it to try and celebrate things but uh, it's really I, important too yeah i get that so with everything that's going on for you at, at the moment do you would you say that you have a good work-life balance do you know, right at this moment, in the middle of all the coronavirus lockdown, I would say I've got one of the best work-life balances I've had my whole career. And I think the challenge for me is I travel a lot, a lot. Mm. So I usually do one week in four over in America. Um, you know, I travel to the shopping channels in Europe and the UK regularly. So my work takes me away from home a lot. And then when I am away from home, um, I am in, I'm in work mode, but when I'm home, I try and only work four days a week. I've got a young family at home, so I would always have a Friday off with the kids. But the problem is if I'm, you know, if I'm working in America one week and, I, and I'm flying home on the Friday, I don't the next week say, well, I'll have Monday off because I worked last Friday. Mm -hmm. I, I only have the Fridays off on the weeks that I'm at home, which is maybe half of them or something. So for all I kept telling myself, I have a great work-life balance because I only work four days a week. The reality wasn't quite as it sounds. And also a lot of my work would take me away on a weekend. So I would do a lot of weekends at consumer shows, trade shows. Again, I would travel on a weekend to be, if I had to be in America, I would always fly on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and I never take that time back with the family. So I think my weekends were not as precious as maybe they should be with a young family. Mm -hmm. And then traveling meant I was away from home a lot. Whereas at the moment I can't travel. So I'm having to do everything that the business needs, but do it all virtually, mm -hmm. which means that every night i'm home and i put the kids to bed so for seven weeks i've put the kids to bed almost every night and on a weekend we can't there's no grandparents able to look after the kids or anything like that so so we're home 
and we're looking after the kids and we're doing more stuff as a family and so it's it's really this has forced me to have the work-life balance that I, I've always told myself I had but the reality is I was kind of hiding behind the, the the actual reality of it somewhat and do you think now that you've obviously you can't do everything virtually but I think this current situation has shown us what we can do and we've had to adapt so do you think you'll have the opportunity now to to cut back on some of that maybe and retain a little bit of the balance that you've you've enjoyed without a shadow of a doubt I think this is there's so much stuff that I would never in a million years thought could be done virtually is now being done virtually and so you know if I was meeting with a client in America I wouldn't even suggest that we do it on video conference that's such a big client it's so important i would get on a plane and fly out there mm -hmm. whereas now i would actually try and do it on video call first and, and i would see flying out there as being the last resort not the first option that's really interesting i think i mean it's certainly going to change things for everyone and i think it's made everybody more resourceful and i hope that that presents good things for for all of us going forward so when you are at home are you are you disciplined with your time when you're at home do you switch things off at a certain time and try and protect your, your weekends or does it kind of blur a bit i think um prior to lockdown i was probably a little bit more disciplined especially if i'd been away midweek traveling you know and i flew home on a friday i would make sure that i had you know friday night and all day saturdays protected family time um whereas now we're just having to be a little bit more fluid and flexible so i'm doing a lot of calls with our us office late into the evening but i try and make a point of you know scheduling them after eight o'clock so that i can put the kids to, i can get get in you know, if I've had to do anything during the day, put the kids to bed and then have that time, you know, later in the evening to go back to business stuff and yeah. just just be flexible around the needs of the business because the business is changing. Our business has changed colossally over the last seven weeks and we've had to adapt our business model to suit the current trading climate mm -hmm. and, and look for opportunities where they perhaps didn't exist before now to make up for some of the losses that we're having in other areas. So that is just, uh, it's just a highly demanding business time. And you can't just say, oh, well, I, I, you know, I've got a family at home, so I, I, I can't do the hours that it needs to make the business successful. It doesn't work like that when it's your own business, as um, you well know. I, absolutely. I absolutely know that. I mean, my daughter's eight now, so she gets it a little bit more. And prior to lockdown, I used to try and involve her in, in bits and bobs. I did a TED, I did my first TEDx talk. Um, just before lockdown and I was able to bring her to that and she's now at an age where I can explain things to her and she gets why I do certain things but I do try and protect the time particularly as you've said sort of weekends in normal time and um, she gets that things are fluid but I, I think it's a good thing because she sees me working hard and, and I think there's there's a lot to learn with that. So um, thinking about, you've mentioned your husband a couple of times, and I read a book a few years ago, the book by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In, where she talks about the biggest career decision is actually choosing who your life partner is. And at the time, I was um, going through my divorce, and I thought, you're living right, actually, with that. There's a lot, there's a lot to be said with that, because I've been in um, you know, long-term relationships where I haven't been supported career-wise, and I feel like that's had a big impact on me. And I've got a lot of friends who've got very supportive partners and I've seen very different sides of that. What's, what's your view on, on the importance of, of choosing the right partner in terms of the impact that that has on your career? Um, colossal, off the chart colossal. And I see it 
not only in my own career, but also we have a lot of women in our business in high powered jobs. And I've seen women in our business who, you know, rise through the ranks and can become very successful. But then I, I can see the sort of pressure they're getting at home, which isn't, it, it, they're having to deal with negativity from their husband or, or partner who can't cope with how successful they are being mm-hmm. and, the, and the demands that come, that come with that. And so, yes, I mean, it's, it's never been an issue for me. Simon and I met when I was 15, childhood sweethearts. Um, and I think he has played a big role. You know, I've been with Simon more than half of my life. And he has played a big role in shaping the person that I've become. I always say that I, I'm kind of, I'm a mix between the, the influence that my dad or both my parents, but particularly my dad had on me growing up and, and then that Simon's had on me. And I, I feel like I've got the best parts of both of those influences Brilliant. as well as developing who I am as my own person. And, and so I, I, I just think I've been really, really lucky in that I made a fantastic choice for my for my life partner and the way he has has helped me become the person I need to be and want to be but then equally I've seen it where that's held other people back and and what kind of advice have you given or would you give to women that are having those sorts of challenges um it's difficult because I think it's easy for me to say as, as one of my friends who is single um pointed out to me one day she said to me I'm so jealous of you, so jealous, she said. And I'm, I'm not jealous that you've got a lot of money, probably more money than I realised, she said at the time. It's not that you live in a big house or drive a nice car. She said, it's the fact that you met the person who you are going to spend your whole life with when you were 15. Mm-hmm. And you've never had to worry about dating and mm-hmm. is this the right person? You know, and I, I see a lot of my friends now in, in their mid thirties who would probably compromise on a life partner choice mm-hmm. just because they would like to be in a relationship. And I think I'm so lucky to have met that right person and have not had to compromise on what I'm looking for in a person, uh, you know, and so I've been able to have that support from a life partner because, you know, being an entrepreneur is so lonely. It, you know, it's, it's, as they always say, it's lonely at the top. And I'm lucky in that, yes, it can be lonely at the top, but then I've got somebody in my life that I, like, I can share that with and have that support with. And he's involved in the business. Did you talk about work at, at home? Um, so what was really interesting is, um, so like I said, we were together from being 15 and it was about three years into the business. We were going through a really stressful time. I was going through a big legal battle defending one of our patents and it was getting quite ugly. And Simon had a fantastic job in corporate, loved, loved his job, chalk and cheese, very different to me, a very different career path. And he just came home from work one day and said, I've handed my notice in today and I'm on three months and I'll start in the business on the 1st of March. Simon's an accountant, so he'd worked out our finances. Uh, he'd always paid our mortgage and bills and everything till then I hadn't taken a penny out of the business. He said, I've worked it out. The business can afford for... Um, to take the money out of the business and pay our mortgage off and, and we'll just take a 10 grand a year each salary. And so that's what we'll do. And I would never, never have asked him to give up his career to make my dream a reality, which is essentially what he did because the business is my dream. He just works in it like, like a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would never have expected him to give up his career for me to have my career. And, but that's exactly what he did. 
and he kind of took the decision out of my hands by just telling me because he knew I would never be able to I would never have asked him and I would never live with the decision if I if I'd had had asked him to do that and the first few years honestly I think I, I think he hated it you know he, he he went from being you know very high up in a company big team multi-million pound budgets that he, he managed to working in a tiny little company with eight staff with a couple of million turnover mm. or you know he used to go to work in a suit and tie every day freshly shaven now he hasn't had a shave for 10 years <laughs> well he might like that that might be well, one of the jobs i think it was novel from at first and then it was a little bit like oh my god you know there's just no structure how do i do this and so then first few years i think were really tough for him but we never we just never talked about it i i could see that it was he accepted it was but no good no good was going to come talking of it because we couldn't do anything about it and that just drove me to want to grow the business faster and stronger so that I wanted the business to be at a size whereby he would get a lot of career fulfillment out of running that business. Mm-hmm. And now we're absolutely there. I think he loves the business now. It's, you know, we're turning over 40 odd million, 220 staff globally. That's a bigger business than what he was managing when he, when he worked in corporate, but it's taken us 10 years to build it to that. That's brilliant. But then the journey is what's exciting. I, I think, I think it's, uh, I think that's the thing. So I appreciate we've only got a couple of minutes left. Just one last question that, that I want to touch upon. So obviously with all that success that you've had in a fairly short space of time, really, to be fair, do, do you ever or have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? <laughs> um, yes. I don't now. Now I'm a bit older. Um, but certainly when I was going through my 20s, and I used, how I used to cope with it is I used to power dress. So especially, I, I remember sitting on the board of directors for the global uh, trade association for the craft and hobby industry. And I was the youngest person there by a country mile. And I was one of only a handful of women on that board. And, you know, it was all older men in suits. And so I used to come to the meetings, power dress in a, you know, a suit, or I used to get a power jacket. And I used to act and behave how I felt that room needed me to act and behave. And I was on the board for six years and by the end of it, I stopped trying to be someone else mm-hmm. and just decided to be me because I'd come up with the attitude of either you want me or you don't. And it was the same with Dragon's Den. You know, when I, when I did my first interview for Dragon's Den, the feedback I got from the producers were, it was a great interview, but you were just a little bit too nice for what we normally have on the show. And, and I just took the decision of, do you know what? I could pretend to be somebody I'm not, but years ago I learned that that doesn't work. So I'm just going to be me. And if I'm not, then it's not going to be right. And since I kind of made that shift and change, I don't suffer from imposter syndrome anymore because I have the self-belief that I'm good enough to be wherever I want to be, whether it's sitting in that lineup on the den or sitting around that board table and that board of directors, whatever it is, I've earned the right to be there. And as long as I remind myself of that and just be myself, because Sarah Davies earned the right to be there, not some imposter. And as long as I always remember that, I don't suffer from imposter syndrome anymore. I love that. So it's a combination of getting getting a bit older, but actually then that then grows the confidence that you know that you can do it and you're not pretending to be anyone else, you or you. Fabulous. Well, I think we'll end on that high note. I think that's great advice. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator as much as I enjoyed recording it. Tune in next week to hear another episode.